Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. This, dear listeners, is our 100th episode. I want to take a moment to acknowledge all of you and thank you very much for listening over these last couple of years. When I started this podcast, the idea of 100 episodes, 100 author interviews, one interview a week, one book a week, probably would have seemed somewhat intimidating, but here we are. We made it together. Thank you once again for your listenership and your support. My guest today is at least partially responsible for many of the wonderful interviews that we have been able to provide, specifically Scott McClanahan, Hanif Abdurraqib, Sarah Rose Eder, Jeff Jackson, and more. He is Eric Obanoff, the editorial director of Two Dollar Radio, a press he founded with his wife, Eliza. Eric was included on Publisher Weekly's 50 Under 40 list and has been a finalist in the magazine's Star Watch Awards. His newest book is Vegan Cooking, Rest Recipes, stories behind the recipes, and inspiration for vegan chefing. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason, and congratulations so much on the 100th episode. That's really exciting, and I know it has taken a lot of work and energy on your part, so congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric, and of course, it's an honor to have you here. And my first question for you is one that I am asking everyone, uh, have been asking everyone over these past several months, and it is a two-part question. Uh, One... How has your life personally changed in this, the COVID-19 era? And two, how are you finding the promotion of not only this book, but $2 Radio's other books to be different during this time? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting question. And I think, you know, with everything going on, um, you know, like today's answer might be different from tomorrow's. But I think personally, I have... Uh, found the shutdown and um, you know staying at home uh, as a result of the, of the pandemic to be um, personally very rewarding <laughs> and you know so we at Two Dollar Radio uh, it's a book publishing company that I run with my wife Eliza and we also have a storefront a bookstore cafe that we run called Two Dollar Radio headquarters in Columbus Ohio and so that is really like a seven day operation uh, we're closed on Mondays but you know we're still doing food prep all the time and you know there's a a coffee shop and bar and then we serve a full menu too and that was something that when we were initially conceiving the place we didn't necessarily have in mind sort of like the depth or or we didn't know that there would be the demand for the food um, that we've ended up seeing and so that has it was initially so we opened up the the storefront in 2017 and that was sort of like a a mental hurdle that i had to get over initially um just the fact that i would be having to spend so much time in the shop making food when there's you know a manuscript that's calling my name that i really want to spend more time with and then you know getting home just being physically exhausted from essentially working in the service industry and not being able to spend time with books and literature which is uh really where my true passion is um with the stuff that we're doing at two dot radio so uh 
what has happened as a result of COVID and the slowdown is that uh, I've been forced, you know, we've limited our hours at the shop and we're doing food for carryout only and we are doing in-store book browsing. Um, but, you know, with the kids at home, I'm getting to spend more time with them. Uh, you know, I spend my mornings at home before I come into the shop and stuff like that. I've been able to catch up on reading. Um, you know, I'm starting to be able to work farther ahead in terms of, like, the publishing schedule and things like that. Uh, so that, personally, has been really nice to spend more time at home with the kids and to read and you know I've been spending every Sunday where historically we'd have like this crazy busy brunch which was just like like you know we'd be open from 10 to 2 10 to 3 and it was just like like sprinting a marathon just trying to like serve food and keep up on everything and you get a real rush from that but being able to spend my uh Sunday mornings at home uh, and I have this routine now where I you know sit outside with a cup of coffee and and just read a book that we didn't publish or are working on two dollar radio but someone else is publishing that's been tremendously rewarding excellent that sounds nice thank you so much yeah of course the second part of your question Mm -hmm. was that pertaining more to sort of like the publishing side of things yeah you know just publishing marketing um i guess both your upcoming book and the books of the writers who are published through two dollar radio i mean marketing has obviously changed there's no book tours etc yeah well i think that it's been tricky in a very real sense to promote books in June and in July where it's just like we're having a a conversation culturally, socially about a lot of these issues that we need to be having conversations about Um, and you know we're living through like the largest civil rights movement in world history and um, I mean it's astounding and it's inspiring and it's emotional but you know, also to be trying to toot the horn about a new book that you're publishing can be kind of tricky in that particular moment. Um, but I think that for us, in terms of like mentally preparing or, you know, figuring out what we're going to publish for this fall season coming up, so uh, fall of 2020, we had been thinking that um, it was going to be a particularly heavy time with the presidential election. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm still, you know, we were just starting out in, as a small press in 2008. We had just gotten major distribution. And uh, we had a couple big books, or books do well for us. Uh, you know, as a small press, we had two books in the spring. Rudolf Willis, who's the drop edge yonder, and Jay Newgeborn's 1940. That sold like 4,000 copies each in the spring. And we were like, yes, publishing is great. Like, I'm so excited. We're going to be able to do this full time. And then, of course, in the fall, the recession hit. There was the presidential election then. And... Um, you know everyone really had tunnel vision with that and so it was an awful time for a lot of different industries and so I'm still just kind of like shell-shocked and have PTSD from that that time so you know when we were in 2019 when we were planning what we were going to do this fall we were imagining that we'd work on a few books that uh, uh, would provide a little levity for the moment as opposed to being like really serious esoteric literary fiction um 
and I, you know, I thought that that would be like a disservice to the authors too to be publishing something like very serious and literary during a season where people have tunnel vision on the election and uh, you know because you knew with this buffoon that nothing mm-hmm. would be easy mm-hmm. or straightforward and so um, yeah so that's what we were thinking for the fall obviously we didn't imagine that everything before now from the spring on would just be so catastrophic but I do feel thankful that we were able to publish a couple books uh, Alligator which is a story collection by Dima Alzeat and she's a Syrian American writer now living in the UK and a lot of the stories in the collection deal with assimilation and immigration uh, and also racial tensions um, the title story Alligator uh, is a is uh, inspired by the true story of a Syrian man in small town Florida who was lynched by the police and then the the story which is told in epistolary format using newspaper clippings and social media posts and also traditional narrative it then follows the family through the generations to the point where their their family's sort of assimilation in American culture is complete which is symbolized through the um, social media racist rants against immigration by that man's grandson uh, you know two generations later mm-hmm. and the second book that we published in July is called A History of My Brief Body um, by uh, an indigenous writer named Billy Ray Belcourt uh, and he's the youngest winner of Canada's Griffin Prize for Poetry he's from the Drift Pile Cree Nation in Alberta and um it's an essay collection uh, that talks a lot about colonial violence and oppression and sexuality. And I, so I do, I do feel like that I'm also thankful, you know, where we were in a position where it was awkward to be tooting the horn about books or saying you should check out this book or read this review about this book in the midst of the largest civil rights movement in history. I am thankful that we had a couple books that were publishing during that time that I felt contributed to the conversation that was going on in society at large. So right. that made it a bit easy. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Eric. And a reminder to our listeners that both of those books, Alligator and A History of My Brief Body, are available with free shipping from www.quailridgebooks.com. Um, Eric, can you take a moment to tell us about Columbus? How has Columbus, Ohio become a hotbed for the literary arts? Is it because of the MFA program at Ohio State University, or are there other factors as well? I mean, maybe. I, I, I think generally there's a lot of, you know, uh, I don't want to shit talk them. You know, like old, old tenured professors at the MFA program at OSU who, you know, aren't bringing a lot of energy to the scene. I think it has more to do with a lot of exciting young poets living in town. Um, you know, Hanif Abdurraqib, uh, a poet um, and essayist who's, uh, who is, you know, really just blown up and given a lot of notoriety and made it okay to say that you live in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, but also other uh, young poets like Ruth Awad, um, William Evans, he just had a poetry collection come out from Simon & Schuster, um, a really incredibly talented um, uh, performance poet, um, Barbara Fant, uh, lives in town and uh, 
and so I think it's just a re- oh, also uh, Rachel Wiley, um, who's really talented, has done a book or two with um, Bud and Poetry, and so they just bring a lot of energy to the place. Um, also, uh, Maggie Smith lives in town, and Saeed Jones just moved here. Um, so I think that there's, I think what there are six or seven colleges in Columbus, and so I think that they sort of like provide an opportunity to bring in like really top-notch writers. Um, like I've seen Miranda July at Columbus College of Art and Design, mm. and that's just the name that's jumping off the top of my head, but um, Billy Ray Belcourt, whose book we just published, uh, you know, I first became familiar with him because he was brought to OSU uh, by Alyssa Washuda, uh, who's a really talented essayist who has a book coming out with Tin House in spring of next year. And she lives in town too, which is amazing. And she's friends with all these people. Like we've hosted readings in our shop with, with Alyssa and Kristen Arnett and Tommy Pico, um, which was amazing. And so I think, you know, with these people and they, they're part of like the, the national, right, uh, you know, literary community. And so when you see these, these really talented artists living in town and, and feeling okay with publicly calling Columbus their home, then I think it, 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 uh, helps to erase some of that stigma with Columbus as like a college football town or like a test market for chain restaurants or something like that. (laughs) Right. Thank you, Eric. Um, Now let's dive into this book, Vegan Cooking. Uh, When I received this this book and I talked to the staff here at Quill Ridge Books in Raleigh about it, everyone got extremely psyched. We have several vegans on staff and several non-vegans that nonetheless enjoy vegan food. And when I told them it was a vegan cookbook with characters in a narrative they were all sold immediately i feel like this is going to do very well uh, there are of course two celebrity chefs involved in the book first can you introduce us eric to chef jean-claude van randy yeah uh chef jean-claude van randy he has a, a checkered past uh comes to us from sheboygan and um he <laughs> So, okay, all right, so we created these characters in the book, uh, Jean-Claude Van Randy and Speed Dog, thinking that they would, that they would be these sort of, like, uh, little more colorful personality than, like, an Anthony Bourdain, and they, they would, like, go to different places around the world, like Anthony Bourdain would in, in Parts Unknown, but as opposed to, you know, interviewing people about the, the culinary history or, or the dining scene there, excuse me, he would then talk to them, or they, they would end up, like, in a very Scooby-Doo fashion, like, solving a crime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was sort of like how we came up with the idea, you know, and a lot of it was just a result. These characters were a result of us, like, uh, bullshitting in the shop and just like coming up with funny names and funny, funny scenarios and stories. And I just ended up writing the backstories behind these characters. And so we have for our food menus in the shop and the cafe here, we, um, you know, go to the thrift store and get old paperback books and uh, remove the pages inside. Um, 
and these are like the mass market paperbacks and you know so there's a lot of like you know uh dime store romance and stuff and so we take the pages out inside and then we print the menu like a book itself and um and so the stories will be related to some of the food items in the shop um and they'll have names like the morning after randy uh saw the flaming lips in big sur california at the henry miller memorial library circa 2006 and so then we would end up like writing a story behind that and then title like the breakfast burrito that thing um so it came about in a really organic fashion and it was really just like a fun playful thing that we were doing and then we were essentially like serializing the stories in the menu um so they'd be changing every so often and you know some people would get excited and check it out uh you know i mean mostly if they had time to kill and everything like that so when we were coming out in terms of approaching the the guide to vegan cooking we wanted to sort of like have a more traditional narrative arc and also leave it open for them as these celebrity chefs and vegan food columnists to then continue to in a very scooby-doo fashion like everywhere they go like there's some kind there's kind of like thrown into a scenario where they have to you know like scooby-doo would have to save the hotel from a ghost or something like that and so these guys are thrust in the position of saving the community garden from the uh uh khaki cargo short wearing uh you know yuppies who want to build a a beige uh townhouse complex (laughs) right um Thank you, Erica. Fun fact um, for our listeners regarding Scooby-Doo. My very first job, uh, I was I was Scooby-Doo at an amusement park. Um, oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> that is... That is a fun piece of trivia. Yeah, it was a fun time. Like, it's so hot here in, in the South. You know, I, I had to go out for just 15 minutes of every hour. Um, but it was really yeah. intense, you know, having, like, all this costume glue and the mask that I had on my head. And it's 100 degrees outside. And um, Oh, that's you know. great. Yeah, for sure. But, Eric, thank you for introducing us to those characters. I know our friends uh, who are listening out there will get to know Chefs Jean-Claude Van Randy and Speed Dog very well. Uh, listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Eric Obanoff. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name, but you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Eric Obanoff, author of Vegan Cooking Recipes, stories behind the recipes and inspiration for vegan chefing, which is published by our friend 
Mondays at $2 Radio. Eric, before we dive back into vegan cooking, can you tell us about the $2 Radio Tattoo Club and where the idea for this club came from? Yeah, I think that a lot of what we're interested in in terms of publishing too I mean because you know there are those very traditional publishers who uh, you know view it as a a very straightforward responsibility where you work with the authors you edit the book and then you push it out in the world and you don't necessarily like have any interaction with readers beyond that or engage with them and so what we wanted to do or what we thought that the tattoo club could be was this opportunity to sort of like uh, build a community around books and the books that we're publishing. And so what we did, it might have been in 08 or 09, was we, we Eliza and I um, got the Two Dally Radio Boombox tattoo. And then uh, one of our authors did, Joshua Moore, and then uh, someone who worked with us at the time, uh, Emily Pullen, who's now with the New York Public Library, um, they got the tattoo. And so then we just decided, you know, why don't we go about and open this up to the public and, and see if anyone gets the tattoo. And at first, you know, we weren't sure whether anyone would actually do it. Um, but we offered the possibility of sending free books for life. And, uh, and, and we're... Uh, you know, excited by the response where people like really engaged with it. And also it was really interesting to hear people's stories about why they chose to get get the tattoo or what book especially spoke to them and, you know, sort of like put them over the edge in terms of going through with it. And, uh, and so that, that was really cool. And it, uh, provided the opportunity to engage with people about the books that we were publishing in a, pretty interesting way and you know that was how we came to know each other as well yeah absolutely Um, so eric let's get back into vegan cooking you state that the goal um of these recipes are to make them accessible Uh, can you talk to us about why that was important well i think that you know a lot of what we try to do with the food here is to not have it be too sort of like hoity-toity for uh people then to i mean we want we do a lot of sandwiches and i guess what you might describe as comfort food um just like overloaded stuff sandwiches and then uh, probably the most popular thing on the menu are these things that we call tortugas which is kind of like a, a baked crunch wrap supreme where you let this big flour tortilla on the outside get nice and crunchy when it's baked um, and the, the most popular item we have for that is this taco mac and cheese tortuga so we take noodles toss it with buffalo queso and this uh, seasoned beef that we make um and jalapenos and stuff it inside a tortilla and bacon it gets nice and crispy you know just like great fulfilling comfort comfort food um but generally speaking like these are all things that you could find in in your pantry for the most part mm-hmm. um or at least once you stock up on a few vegan staples like uh, nutritional yeast and maybe like cashews or pizzas then it's something that you can just be making all the time but a lot of the stuff when we were initially uh 
starting with our, our own uh, family vegan diet was, you know, getting books from the public library. And, you know, I think with a lot of people, with a lot of people who've, who've transitioned to a vegan diet, uh, you know, you'll hear people say, you know, I'm vegetarian, but the hardest thing for me to give up was cheese. Mm. And, you know, so we get like books on vegan cheese at the library and they just have like a gazillion ingredients that go into each cheese and like most of them are kind of like esoteric and hard to get and you have to special order from from uh you know obscure websites that look kind of like um i don't know like scientology like fringe based uh, <laughs> right. websites where you're like not entirely confident about going there so we wanted the recipes with this book to be accessible to people that they could pick it up and go home and maybe you know they just have to make sure their nutritional yeast stays uh, stocked and they have cashews and then you know they're really just able to make like a bunch of different things yeah I appreciate that as someone who definitely does not want to buy the Scientology cheese and um, also <laughs> you, you know looking looking at you know these other recipe books like you say they often not only with the ingredients but they often specify like alright now you need to go buy a food dehydrator and this like high grade yeah. processor and all these things and all of a sudden you're in a place where you gotta go spend $5,000 to start a diet and it's um, kind of crazy definitely. so uh, and I think a lot of the stuff that those vegan products that they sell at the grocery stores are really high priced too. Like, you know, we use mayonnaise as a base for a lot of the sauces in the shop and then also at our house. And to buy a vegan mayonnaise from the store is like $8 for a jar. And uh, one of the big early life hacks for us was figuring out how to make uh, vegan mayonnaise out of aquafaba, mm-hmm. the, the juice from uh, cans of beans, mm-hmm. Oil, you know, some basic spices and tapioca starch, tapioca flour. Mm-hmm. And you just combine those two with the right measurements, and you can get like a nice creamy base that you can then add, you know, like dill, garlic, and onion powder. You got a great ranch dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's super inaccess- uh, inexpensive, mm-hmm. super accessible once you know how to do it, and then you can make like any sauce. Excellent. And save eight dollars. Yeah, and save eight dollars. Thank you very much, Eric. And now, um, let's jump back out of the recipes for a moment and address Chef Jean Claude Van Randy. Uh, Chef JC writes all of his passages via dictaphone, audio cassette, in the third person. Um, Eric, my favorite baseball player of all time is Ricky Henderson, uh, who also uh, referred to himself in the third person. Um, and yes, I am making a comparison between uh, Chef Jean Claude and the King of Stolen Bases, as they are undoubtedly <laughs> both equally adapt at their craft. Um, Eric, how do you think there is? Uh, do you think there is a defining trait? that is shared amongst celebrities that refer to themselves in the third person yeah I don't know I mean I don't know that there's a shared trait I think that there you know we just watched the Michael Jordan or the Chicago Bulls documentary The Last Dance and Mm -hmm. you know he's obviously referring to himself a lot Michael Jordan is in the third person Mm -hmm. and um I don't know. I mean, I guess it might be like the the celebrity uh, athlete thing to do um 
where, you know, it might be how they're getting phrased questions too, where, you know, maybe the reporters are saying, like, does LeBron James, you know, does this fit in? I don't know. It also might be a matter of them thinking of themselves as a brand. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in the case of people like Michael Jordan and LeBron. Um, But that's interesting that you're a Ricky Henderson fan, um, because there's, I was a big fan of the 1990 Cincinnati Reds, which famously Uh, Mm -hmm. swept Ricky Henderson's Oakland Athletics. Uh, yeah. you know, a team with Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, heavily favored going into the World Series. Yeah. And the Reds swept them in four games. They should There's also a little uh, allusion to that team in the in the salsa recipe. recipe there it is. Where it compares to the 1990 Cincinnati Reds bullpen. The Nasty Boys. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I was disappointed with that World Series, but Ricky Henderson has his rings. So, um, it was all right. And, you know, and actually my, my father grew up in um, in West Virginia, kind of was a Reds fan, you know, by kind of... Um, proximity uh so we had like a family rivalry and, and it it turned out okay you know ricky henderson's all right and and the reds got a ring um so eric uh speed dog likes ring pops and um yeah. ring pops uh, of course are vegan and i used to write for veg news magazine and we had a column called uh, i can't believe it's vegan uh, i believe yeah. the first article was about twizzlers along those lines what are some other foods that we may be surprised to learn are vegan oh my um i think that you seem better equipped to answer this question than i do uh i'm you know (laughs) it sounds like with that experience you could probably do a better job than i could um but you know like i think as a vegan you're just conditioned to look at the label for absolutely everything Mm -hmm. um you know even things that you would you would assume are are vegan and end up containing like castoreum or something um Right. And, yeah, so it and, never hurts to check a label. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And, you know, I didn't write that column, so it's not. I'm not necessarily better equipped. Actually, like Twizzlers is really the only thing that st- sticks in my mind uh, <laughs> all these years later. But, um. Well, it's an important one. Yeah, Twizzlers. Yeah, great. you know, you got to. Ring pops are great. Back in the day when we could go out in public to movie theaters, you know, it was good to have a go to uh, snack there. Well, thank you, Eric. Um,. There is a heckler in this book at one point, and it's during uh, the concert you mentioned earlier, the Flaming Lips concert at the Henry Miller Library. Forgive me um, if I'm getting the location mixed up, but I don't want to talk about any spoilers here. I don't want vegan cooking to be spoiled for folks who are listening and thinking about buying a copy from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. Uh, But this heckler at one point yells, this is bogus. Veggies are for sides, not a main dish. Um, And this heckler... This heckler got me to thinking, uh, what's going on with that perception? Why, in your opinion, Eric, do people think it makes more sense um, to have meat as a main dish, to kill an animal, cut them up, defer them, defeather them, whatever? Um, Why is this concept of doing this to an animal and then eating it more quote-unquote regular uh, than figuring out how to get your protein from a fruit or vegetable? I don't know, other than that, there are these very powerful lobbies in uh especially in different states that are committed to the industries there um you know in ohio we have the ohio beef council 
in Missouri. Uh, I, th- I think it's the the beef lobby as well, where they were um, very active and able to uh, pass a law in the state uh, that comes to labeling. You know, so if you would call something like veggie sausage or refer to it as like sausage or beef or something like that or bacon um you couldn't do that there and um there's also the example of um in wisconsin with miyoko's creamery um they have a product that they refer to as butter and the the dairy lobby there was able to challenge them and you know to the point where they had to like sort of like walk back some of their labeling or what they were able to to uh, call a product mm-hmm. um, and then also you saw it with a company Just Mayo uh, mm-hmm. with Hellman's and you know Hellman's was arguing in uh, uh, politically that traditional mayonnaise has to include eggs otherwise you can't call it mayonnaise mm-hmm. um, and so I think that those efforts by those groups, uh, you know, are very effective uh, socially. And, um, but, you know, I think as vegans, you get used to like a lot of these really generic questions. You know, I have two, two kids, they're 10 and 14 now, but you'd always get questions from parents and that who are just like, their mind blown is blown when like, like, this one other parent you know we drop our kids off for a play date and they're they're like what am I supposed to feed him Uh, and they're like I don't think we have anything that's vegan here it's like you can feed them a peanut butter and jelly (laughs) you can feed them Cheerios you can feed them pasta Mm -hmm. like there's a gazillion different things you could feed them. So I think a lot of it is as, 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 as a vegan, you get used to answering these really just like tired questions and dated questions, uh, from people about, you know, where you get your protein. And, you know, there's examples of like a peanut butter and jelly is a complete protein where you can get more protein from that than in, um, the case of uh, you know some hamburgers, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Most pe- the, the nice thing about be- answering those questions is, you know, people who are asking them aren't necessarily like familiar <laughs> with any of these things, so that you know a simple response that you've gotten used to will tide them over. Yeah, and it's an opportunity to um, do some low key education. Um, for our listeners, uh, you mentioned the Just Mayo thing. There's a great book out called Billion Dollar Burger by Chase Purdy that explores uh, that case in a fun way. And um, as we're talking, that uh, an interview with him for this podcast will be out in a couple weeks. As you're listening, it's probably already come out. But um, again, that's Billion Dollar Burger by Chase Purdy. Um, Eric, finally... Chef Speed Dog uh, is a drummer. Speed Dog has a cultivated appreciation for drum solos. Chef Speed Dog approaches the craft of cooking as one who had cultivated their drumsmanship would approach the building and execution of an excellent drum solo. Uh, What, in your opinion, and what you know of Speed Dog's opinions, are some of the greatest drum solos of all time? Oh, geez. uh, You know, the fun thing about these characters are they're based on on real-life people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm able to sort of, like, cherry-pick certain 
characteristics and personalities from them and then apply them to these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the character of Jean-Claude Van Randy, there's a uh, gentleman who would deliver our coffee, mm-hmm. our coffee beans to the shop, and mm-hmm. his name was Randy. And we find, you know, get to know him over the years and find out he's like this martial arts expert and, you know, had been like really active in tournaments across the country and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so we just started calling him Jean-Claude Van Randy. And, uh, and then same with Speed Dog. There was, uh, there was um, a guy who bartended here and uh, he runs a music booking company and you know he's really entrenched in the music scene and he's he was the drummer in, in the band and uh, he'd also talk really fast and so one time when he was on tour the uh, you know he, I think it was like they were on tour in the south and he was they were sitting at a bar and someone asked him a question and he just like responded with this you know rapid fire uh, response and the guy said to him whoa 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 slow down there speed dog <laughs> and so you know we're just like I was able to just like cherry pick a lot of these characteristics from certain people that I found humorous but I I will admit that I personally am not especially well versed in uh in the drums and drum solos uh but but what do you think are some of your favorite drum solos well i've got one that comes to mind it's uh it's in a song called one word by the mahavishnu orchestra on their um album birds of fire um mahavishnu orchestra was led by john mclaughlin who played guitar on bitches brew by miles davis but um that's a fantastic drum solo and that's really the one that jumps out at me when i when i think about drum solos that i would uh have in the back of my mind as i approach building a recipe or some such thing um (laughs) i'll check that out yeah yeah please do and you know your story is funny about your uh Randy, the the coffee bean delivery person who you find out is a martial arts expert. A similar thing happened to me when I was uh, a young man a long time ago. I was and I delivered pizzas and I worked with a guy Nick who I later found was like a world class professional putt putt coach. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and I didn't, who knew that these things even existed, but they do. And there are apparently a lot of uh, high dollar tournaments all over the country that he would um, fly his team to. So you, That's you, awesome. it is right. You never know. Well, thank you, Eric, and thank you for everything you're doing with vegan cooking and with publishing and the literary arts. Listeners, I've been speaking with Eric Obanoff, editorial director of Two Dollar Radio and author of Vegan Cooking: Recipes, Stories Behind the Recipes, and Inspiration for Vegan Chefing. Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jason. Really appreciate it. And thank you as well for everything that you're doing in terms of the bookshop and the podcast and advocacy for independently published books. Grateful. Yeah. Once again, I would like to thank Eric Obanoff for joining me. Copies of Vegan Cooking can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, to get one month of free audiobooks and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookend.